You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church. I'm so grateful to be with you today and the fact that we get to share God's word and dive deep deeply into it. God has something for us today. And uh, my prayer is that you're going to receive what God has for you. And I feel like God just keeps bringing this word back to me. <laughs> and it, and uh, I keep hearing it. And, uh, and I believe God is doing that so that it will take root in my life. And I hope the same is true for you. We're in a series called Like a Good Neighbor. And you and I, we were made for flourishing relationships. God created you and I in his image and he made us for a relationship with himself and with others. If you think about the cross, the, the vertical relationship, and Alex talked about this last week, we can't um, be a good neighbor. We can't build good community without a relationship with God. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, our lives, and what it means to be uh, the beloved community that we all long for. Um, he, and so God created us for a relationship with himself, but he also created us for a relationship with others. The first time the Bible says it's not good is that uh, people would be alone. God intentionally created us for community with one another. And uh, we want to talk about how do we live into that. So like a good neighbor, we need to love God. But we also need to learn how to love others. And that may sound overly simplistic, but I promise you, you that you're going to learn something today from God's word. Because the truth is this, we can think we know something, but not be paying attention to the fact that, are we actually practicing that thing that we may know? Uh, are we living into that thing that we may know? And one of the signs that we have flour um, flourishing relationships are that our, is that our soul uh, feels that sense of connection and um, intimacy and depth with other people. And if we don't feel those things, it's a sign that we're missing out on uh, what God has for us in learning how to love each other well. Uh, I want to start by telling you a story. How many of you have ever ridden a mountain bike? Raise your hand. Woo! Woo! Tearing up those hills. Uh, I was out with a group of guys uh, 10, 12 years ago and uh, riding a mountain bike at Mayberry State Park. We, and it, it, we were going up and down these hills. It was a crisp fall day. The sun was shining, this, the breaking through those leaves and glistening. And we were riding around this trail. And um, uh, I was going to do two loops with one of my friends. So uh, we were a group. We finished one loop, people left. And then there was me and another friend who was tearing it up and way ahead of me. And I was coming down this hill, barreling down this hill. I was getting tired. And uh, all of a sudden, boom, my uh, uh, handlebars jerked, uh, T-boned, because I hit a stump. And they usually paint the stumps orange. This was painted orange, but it's covered in mud. I didn't see it. I was tired. My, my handlebars uh, go sideways. I, boom, hit this stump, and I do an endo. I flip over the handlebars of my bike. I'm laughing now because I see this in hindsight. But, um, and I'm flying uh, like Superman toward a big old honking tree. And, uh, and thank God, I hit the glance, the side of my head and hit my shoulder. And I crumpled against that tree. I played football, I've wrestled. I never hit anything so hard in my life. 
I kind of blacked out and I'm sitting there by the side of the path, disoriented, dizzy, wondering what happened and how am I going to get out of these woods? Have you ever felt yourself stranded on the side of life's road, stuck? Maybe it's been physical, but very often it can be uh, emotional, relational, spiritual. Maybe you've literally uh, had your car break down on the side of the road and you're wondering who's going to help me. Uh, maybe you lost your job and suddenly you found yourself on the, stuck on the side of the road and going, what do I do next? How do I, how do I find gainful employment? What, am, what should I be doing with my career? Maybe you lost a loved one. And uh, I know s several people I'm close to have lost loved ones in the last year or two. And it's just gut-wrenching. There's this void, there's this gap, and there's this sense of disorientation. And very often people feel stuck. What do I do next? How do I move forward without this person in my life? Maybe for you during COVID, as many people have, uh, anxiety and loneliness and depression have taken hold in your life and they've left you feeling lethargic and stuck on the side of life's road. Maybe you actually have experienced physical illness and sickness and you got a diagnosis that you never saw coming and you, you're not sure which way to go or what to do. I want you to think for a minute in, in that place where you have been stuck and I want to ask you this question what would have been helpful what's something helpful someone could have done in that situation uh, how might someone have shown you love in that situation what would it have looked like for you to get help on the side of the road in that situation the good news is this in, in the Bible in the Gospel of Luke which uh, are the stories uh, told about the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about this very thing. He gives us a picture of what it looks like to love someone well who's in need. And it's a story you may be familiar with, but I promise you today, as you listen and say, God, show me what you have for me. God has something for you, and you're going you're gonna to learn something today. And even as I studied this passage uh, this week again, I, I, new things popped up to me. So this whole conversation starts with an expert in the law. And an expert in the law was someone who knew the Jewish faith, knew um, and understood the commandments, knew all of the commandments that were written off the commandments. And this person is going to seek to test Jesus and show off his mental muscle against this kind of Galilean upstart. And so it says in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, circle test. This isn't an open conversation. He's testing Jesus. He's trying to uh, probably prove that he is uh, a false messiah. And, um, and so uh, this is the motivation coming into this conversation. Um, and his job, again, was to interpret the law of Moses and help people understand what it means. Just like we have constitutional lawyers who interpret the Constitution in our country. Same kind of thing. And he said, teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Now, remember again, he's not an honest truth seeker. I just admire Jesus' um, self-control here because he actually asks a question that um, Jesus could have made him look silly on, uh, which he didn't. And Jesus could have said, look, the whole point of an inheritance is um, you have someone who has resources and dies and has 
uh, bequeath those resources to you. You don't, you don't have to do something to inherit. You simply receive the inheritance. It's already been um, designated for you. You don't do anything. But Jesus doesn't say that. He, um, he shows some honor, but he also kind of turns the test around. And he says to the expert in the law, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And it's important, again, to note the subtlety of Jesus' answer here, because um, an expert in the law would have known the whole law of Moses, but all the godly people of that time um, wore these uh, boxes on their wrist, kind of like I'm wearing a watch, called a phylactery. It was a little, little leather box, and they would write down, they would actually have scriptures that were the core scriptures of the faith. They'd put them in the box on their wrist, and every time they looked at their wrist, um, it would remind them, oh, yeah, I should be loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do I do that right now? Um, and so, like, uh, years ago, uh, we had WWJD bracelets, and people make fun of those. But the essence of that was actually a good pointer. It was like, oh, I should think about Jesus and how he might live my life in my situation right now. And it was kind of, again, a reminder. We have these things in our time as well as them. So that's kind of the same idea or thing. And... Um, and it, basically, Jesus has given him a little uh, help. He's going, hey, what's on your wrist? What does that say? The expert in the law answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You know what Jesus says, now do it. And the lawyer realizes, though, he's kind of sprung his own trap. He stepped in his own trap. He wrote the test, and he's about to flunk it. He, he's, uh, he didn't have any part with the first part of the exam. Loving God was kind of, the, they were professional God lovers, right? The experts in the law, the Pharisees, uh, the priests. That, that was kind of their job. But the loving your neighbor thing, that got a little bit, uh, that could be a little too ambiguous for them. They, they wanted to be able to... Uh, determine that in such a way so that they could live into it. And so he says, well, here's Jesus, who's my neighbor? And uh, he wants a definition of terms. And one of the things he wants to do, and this is, um, this is a regular religious practice that is dysfunctional in my mind. It can be good, but then it turns perverse. So it's like, oh, he wants the definition of terms. He wants to understand the text. Um, and um, uh, but but one of the things he's doing here is what they were all famous for is they talked and a lot and talked and talked. They had discussion groups about this, but they didn't necessarily obey it. And that can happen in the church, right? We talk about we read these things. We think about these things. We talk about these things. And yet um, and we're often trying to bend them in such a way so that they conform to our life. We're not trying to bend our life so we conform to the clarity of Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, and so the, the lawyer says, who's my neighbor? And you, you, everybody's expecting Jesus now to launch into some kind of theological discussion. Um, but he doesn't. He transports this man and this group. He, he beams them into a place called reality, not theory and theology and all this other uh, stuff, abstract. He's going to bring them right smack dab into the real world. And so he tells them a story. And again, he doesn't say there's five words for love and da-da-da. He goes, he tells a story. And um, this story is kind of like a hand grenade. 
and it's sitting there in the middle of the room and, and you're looking at it and maybe it's this little lump and it doesn't look like much and then you touch it, boom, it goes off. And these shards of truth embed themselves in uh, everybody's soul who hears this story. And it just won't leave you alone. It just stays with you and pierces you. And you're like, oh, and you'll see how that happens. And as it turns out, this is a famous story and it's known throughout most of our world. In fact, we have a term for the hero of this story. It's called Good Samaritan. And a Good Samaritan is someone who sees someone in need and helps them out. And so whether you've heard this story or not, um, or are familiar with it or not, I promise you as we read the actual words of Jesus, it's going to come into uh, technicolor clarity for us as we, as we are hearing and understanding what does it mean for us to have a life of love toward the people around us. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so Jesus is starting off this story about a person in need. And this is a physical need, but of course, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, maybe you feel stripped and beaten and left half dead. Uh, through the circumstances of your life. And uh, we're going to see how uh, Jesus tells this story now about this person in need. And this road that this man was on was called uh, Adumum, which was called the Bloody Way. And it went from Jerusalem, which was 2,300 uh, feet above sea level, all the way down to Jericho, which was 1,300 feet below sea level. So it's the better part of a mile, over 20 miles, going through the mountains back and forth. And so what would happen is bandits and robbers would hide on the side of this road and they would um, rob, murder, rape, uh, unsuspecting pilgrims who might be traveling this road. And that's why it was called the bloody way because people regularly got hurt going here. And so people almost never went alone. They went in a caravan uh, so that there was some protection. And so you see this man on the side of the road and you picture him and he's bleeding, his stuff's stolen. And imagine that the Pharisees and, and uh, the teachers walk up to this man and say, can you tell us, we're trying to define who, a, what a neighbor is. Um, can you tell us uh, from your perspective down there, who would you say is your neighbor? <laughs> you know, this guy is dying. He, I, and the obvious answer is anyone who sees me and helps me. Okay, good definition, great answer. Um, anybody who's willing to help me out. And so as Jesus tells the story, we're going to see that two of the best possible neighbor candidates, according to everybody who's gathered, are about to come this guy's way. He, he's in luck. Uh, God must be smiling on him. It says in verse 31, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, priests and Levites regularly traveled this road because the temple was in Jerusalem and many of those who worked in the temple lived in Jericho or the surrounding region. And so they would uh, travel up to Jerusalem, serve in the temple for temple sacrifices and worship, 
uh, when it was their turn and then they would travel back down. And so they, they frequent this. So these guys were done with their service, so to speak. They just went to church, man. They heard the word of God and now they're going to get to live it out. And they see this guy on the side of the road and they walk past him. It says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And so the question we want to ask is, how does the Good Samaritan show love to this man in need? What, how, does he, how does he become the image, the picture of what it means to love our neighbor well? Because Jesus is telling this whole story in order to answer that question. What does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? And the first thing we see is this man sees the need. Love starts with awareness, um, but it doesn't end there. You and I, we can't meet a need we can't see. And so we have to pay attention. And in a world where we're distracted all the time by our phones and our news feeds and social media and everything else going on around us, it's easy to be distracted and not actually be paying attention to the people around us and seeing their needs. Now, obviously, all three people here saw this man, but what did they see? Well, the priest who would have been doing the temple sacrifices and who was very concerned with ritual purity and, um, uh, and living a godly life sees this man on the side of the road, and he uh, more than likely sees someone who will make him unclean. If he would have helped this man and, and again left for dead, we don't know if this man's dead or alive, but if he touches a corpse or touches someone who's had uh, bodily excretions, and of course this guy's bleeding all over, he becomes unclean. And that means he has to have a period, seven days at the least, of being isolated and cleansed. And so maybe he thought, I don't want to miss my chance to serve in the temple next week, and that's what would happen. Um, and besides, maybe this guy had it coming. And why is he on the side of the road like this? He probably did something to bring this on to himself. And he finds a way to uh, justify walking past a man who is dying. And then the Levite was also part of the religious services and he worked at the temple. He was a professional Christian, so to speak. He, and, um, and so he would help set things up and they would teach and, and help with worship at times and all the temple set up. And uh, I don't know about the Levite, but one of the things I thought about here, may, maybe he's thinking, hey, I'm on my way down to Jericho to teach this small group all about community. And um, look at what God gave me an illustration right in front of me. Look at this guy. I'm going to be able to use him, him as an example in my talk. Hey, this is what happens when you do life alone. You get beat up. We're better together. I like the ring of that. And, uh, you know, he's writing his notes. And again, I'm making this up in my own head. This isn't what the Bible says. And um, maybe he thinks, I got an illustration here. And uh, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to challenge our youth group uh, to start a brand new ministry called No Traveler Left Behind. And uh, they can get out on the streets and make a difference out there. And uh, again, I'm just speculating. But that's the kind of conversation we have, right? Someone else will do it. In fact, I can inspire other people to do it when God's saying, you do it. You meet the need. What's the Samaritan? Well, if the priest and Levite were at the top of the list, the Samaritan is the bottom of the list. 
Samaritans and Jews had a long-standing hatred. And I won't get into the history of it, but the Samaritans had part of the truth of God. They had the first five books of the Bible, but um, they were compromised by the worship of other nations around them. And so they had this kind of mixed faith with some truth and, and a lot of error in it. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans. In fact, when a Jew talked about a Samaritan, they referred to that person as a dog. They saw them, themselves here and the Samaritans here. And, um, and so the people listening to the story must have thought, the villain has come on the scene. I wonder what the Samaritan's going to do. Maybe he's just going to kill this guy and finish him off. And um, so imagine everyone's surprised. It says he felt compassion. That word pity, compassion, is a word that's used of God's heart toward our need. It's a word uh, most frequently used of God and how he feels this gut-wrenching sense of um, pain when he sees us in need. And, um, uh, and his heart's moved, this, this Samaritan's heart's moved. He sees this man's agony and he can't pass by without helping him out. So all three men saw this dying man, but all three men did not see the same thing. Um, but that's not where it stops. So what does the Samaritan do next? He sees the need, but then he makes a decision and he walks toward the need. He went to him. The others walked around him and found a way to justify it. He walks toward this man in need. Love, here's the, here's the big idea of the morning. Love walks toward the need, not around it. This is what God calls us to do. This is why Jesus is telling this story. Awareness and knowledge must be followed by action or movement. And so he goes to the person in need and he responds to the need. And he responds with what he has, not with what he doesn't have. And you're like, well, that's kind of obvious, right? I, I, uh, and so I want to explain that in just a minute. But let's read what it says next. He went to him. So he moves toward the need. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, a form of cleansing and rinsing of that wound. And, and, um, and then he put the man on his own donkey. So now the man's on the donkey. He's walking. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. So what does the Samaritan do? He sees the need. He sees this man made in the image of God. And he feels compassion for him in his time of need. And he serves the need with what he has available to him. And he doesn't apologize for what he doesn't have. He does what he can. And so I want you to think about this. What does he give here? Well, he gives the most precious uh, item of all. And it's something we all have as long as we have breath in our bodies. He gives time. Guess what? They were all busy. They probably all had a very full schedule. They were trying to get home. They were trying to get to work. They were trying to get things done. This guy had business to do. He had money to make. He gives his time. And this is the truth. Crisis never happens at an opportune time. Ever. Ever. And the question is, will we put down what we want so that someone else can get what they need? And this busy business person sets aside what he wants in order to meet the needs of the Samaritan. And he gives what he has. He gives his time. He gives first aid. So again, he's not a doctor. 
he uh, he he has, but he what he has, he uses. He washes the wound. He uses what he has to bandage it. He transports him to an inn. He puts him in his car and takes off. And he took care of him through that night. Let's see what it says next in verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Now, look at this. He does what he can, and in the process, he takes him to someone who can do more. So I'm not a doctor, but I could pick someone up on the side of the road and take them to a hospital. I'm not a psychologist, and you're probably not either, or a counselor, but you can listen to someone and help them connect with someone who can do more. But so often we don't try to help someone because we go, oh, I just don't have the skills to do that. And the truth is we all can do something. And I believe that that's a cheap way of justifying us not doing the thing we can by saying of all the things we can't. And I've used this in my own life, so I'm talking to me. Uh, but the thing that God has showed me is, yeah, you have something you can give. Just give what you can. And then help them get to the next person who can help them do more, who has that expertise, who can bring that help. And um, because, again, sometimes we focus too much on what we can't do, what gifts we don't have, rather than the things we can do and the gifts we do have. And so we respond, he responds to those needs with what he has. And the whole point here is this Samaritan goes the extra mile and he was a good neighbor. And so we're coming to the point, the single point of Jesus' story. He says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? <laughs> and the expert in the law says the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say Samaritan because he just chokes on the fact, he's choking on the fact that Samaritans can be the hero. He says, oh, the one who did this thing. And Jesus says, hey, our neighbor, you want to know who your neighbor is? You, you want to know what kind of a neighbor we need to be? Our neighbor is anyone whose need we see. And love walks toward that need. It walks toward that pain. It walks toward that mess, not around it. And then Jesus says to the expert in law, well, let's go and do likewise. And Jesus kind of shifts the conversation here from who's my neighbor to what kind of neighbor am I? What does it mean for me to go and do likewise? Am I the kind of person who is going to uh, be that kind of neighbor? And he wants us to look at ourselves and ask this question. Am I really a loving person? If I say, are you a loving person? Now, most people I would say, yeah, oh yeah, I am. Am I a source of God's goodness to the people in need around me? Am I a compassionate person like God? And as I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that overflows in the way I love other people. If so, we're going to be people who love our neighbor, starting with the people closest to us. And so I'm going to, I want us to think for a minute on how can we apply this teaching of Jesus here. I want you to think about your world for a minute. And think about the road of your life. And I want you to think about your friends. And are any of your friends in need? Who are those people who you consider friends? 
and, uh, and, and how are they doing? And if you're not sure, one of the best gifts we can give someone is to listen, and I'll come back to that. Uh, what about your relatives? Start with your immediate family. We always start with the people God put closest to us. So if we're married, it's a, start with your spouse. Do, are they in need right now? What needs do they have? Or your kids um, or your uh, extended family. What about your acquaintances? You know, you go places every day and I go places every day. The, the, the coffee shop you go to or the gym you go to or the store you shop at. Are there people that you're regularly in touch with? Who are they? What about your neighbors? You and I are literal neighbors. Do we know the names of the, our neighbors to our right and to our left? Or if you're in an apartment, the people who live next door. Um, and then what about work? What about your coworkers? Um, what are their needs? Who are the people around you and your, and your team at work or at school? And your, uh, if you're a student, and what are the needs you see? Now, I just listed a whole bunch of people and God wants us to kind of go through and think about that all those five groups because that's part of how the web of community God has put us in and I want you to think about that and then I want you to pick one person who has a need I want you to think what need came to the surface and maybe you can just pray Lord just reveal to me right now someone whose need you want me to meet and I want you to think about them and say I want you to name the need what, what, what need do they have where are they hurting where are they on the side of life's road and and sometimes it's a physical need. They're sick or they're hurting. Uh, and that can be a little easier to spot. Uh, but oftentimes it's an emotional need or a relational need. And maybe they're hurting in some way. And so we have to learn to ask questions. Here's a simple one. How are you doing? How can I be praying for you? You know, I love you. I care about you. How can I be praying for you? Where are you angry right now? Where are you sad? What are you anxious about? What are you having joy around? What are you glad about? What's life-giving? And just learning to ask good questions. We often don't know. Again, we don't see because we um, don't ask the right questions. And so part of paying attention is asking good questions, and I would recommend that. So do we see the need of that person? And then how can we serve the need? How do we walk toward the need they have and show love? So maybe they feel stressed out about work. And there's a task that you can do for them. Take something off their plate. Or maybe they feel hurt by a friend or someone else and they just need you to listen and talk and hear them. Or maybe that person feels alone and isolated and um, you can invite them to do something that's fun and life-giving for them and, and get them out. Um, maybe they feel overwhelmed. And uh, many uh, young families they I, I see uh, have kids and they're working and and maybe they need a babysitter and you can be that person. Maybe they have a, a, a kind of a physical need in their home or their car and you can fix it. You have skills or you can pay for it. Here's love sees the person. And that's a gift and serves the person. And so I want to encourage us. Can we all commit to serve one person this week? And I'm doing this and uh, I'm, I'm inviting you to do this with me. Can we see that person and walk toward that need and meet that need this week? Now, I know for many of us at Life Church Livonia, I feel like there's so many loving people who care about what I'm talking about. I know this is your heart, but sometimes God needs us to stop and realize, even though that intention is there, we're distracted and we need to focus again and, and really pay attention to the needs around us. Imagine what God could do 
if our families and our small groups and our church um, lived out this kind of love, man, what an impact that would have on the world. I want you to think about this. This man's whole life was changed because one person walked toward the need, not around it. The priest, the religious professional, walked, saw that man in, in, in need and walked around him. And the Levite, another uh, supposedly godly person, saw that need and walked around it. And yet this Samaritan, this person who was disregarded by most of that culture at that time, saw the need, walked toward the need, and responded to the need with what he had, not with what he didn't have. And he changed this person's life. This is how God's kingdom advances. This is how our world changes, one act of love at a time. And God put you and I where we are so that we can be that love and bring that love and bring the kind of transformation God wants to bring to our lives and to our community. Let's pray. And as we pray, I just want to invite you again to think of that one person you're going to commit to. But before we um, do that, I want to invite you to receive Christ. And the truth is this, um, without God in our life, we're not going to have this kind of relationship. And this man, this Good Samaritan story with the man beaten up on the side of the road, the truth is we're all that person. We've all been beaten up by life and we've screwed up and sinned and done the wrong thing and some, we've blown up our own lives and we've been hurt by others. And the truth is Jesus will meet us. He will be that Good Samaritan who uh, ministers to us if we will let him. And so I want to invite you to receive that gift right now of Jesus' presence. He sees you and his healing, he's walking toward you and his flourishing, he wants to meet your deepest needs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now I'm inviting you to um, enter my life. Cleanse me, Lord. You know I've been hurt and wounded by others around me, by this world and by self-inflicted. I've sinned against you and hurt myself and I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me. Lord, I want to journey with you. I, um, uh, I'm receiving your invitation, Lord. I want to come follow you. And so please, Lord, guide me and direct me and help me to live a life of love. And Lord, for the rest of us here, Lord, uh, I pray that you'd bring to mind for each one of us that person you want us to serve this week. Help us to see them. And Lord, help us to walk toward their needs and not around them. And Lord, bring what we have. And we trust you, Lord, to bring your goodness and love into their life. And I pray that you would build the flourishing community you want to build uh, in us and through us and in our world. In the beautiful name of Jesus, amen. Hey, if you prayed with me and received Christ or uh, renewed your commitment to Christ, I want you just, would you message us so we can help you take your next steps? Thanks so much and God bless. See you soon.